0: Does it ever feel like your gaslighter says and or does things to push your buttons? This can happen in a variety of ways with a number of different results. In today's episode, my guest and I are going to deconstruct how her gaslighter was doing what we call poking the bear. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and I'd love to have you be a guest on my podcast. If you'd like to share your story, get my brain on what you've been experiencing, and have me help you to be able to move more clearly into a place of understanding what has been happening in your relationships, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and get on my calendar. Go to sarahmoralescoaching.com contact or use the link that I'll give to you in the show notes. The word of the day today is exaggerate. According to dictionary.com, to exaggerate is to magnify beyond the limits of truth, to overstate, to represent disproportionately. When it comes to gaslighting, we typically see this in two different flavors, the gaslighter exaggerating their wounds, or as we'll see in my guest's story today, exaggerating, quote, faults. And when I say faults, really, I mean taking normal human behavior and then exaggerating them so that they appear as character faults, right? So my guest today is Linda. Linda. Linda is an engineer at a very large defense contractor. She has reached the height of technical success at a very young age. Prior to meeting her husband, she was a kick-ass single mom that was nailing it in her career and at home with her daughters. And y'all, she's here to bring that energy as she shares her story with us today. Welcome to the show, Linda.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yay! I'm excited this is a you brought some really great stuff today and so I'm excited to be able to bring it to my listeners today. So in my intro I used the phrase poking the bear. Are you familiar with that term? Oh yes. Oh yeah, (laughs) you're like, girl. I loved it. I'm familiar with it, and I loved it. Um, So for those of you that aren't familiar with that term, it really means and or refers to when somebody kind of intentionally does things to you to make you get angry. um, Which really goes into you know being able to then paint themselves as the victim. So uh, we're gonna get to that in a little bit. But before we start unpacking that. Um, I always love to give my listeners a little bit of context, right, so that it's not just like out of the blue why we're talking about the things that we talk about um, so that you can understand, so that they can understand how things got to the place where your soon-to-be ex was able to poke the bear, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't start that way straight out of the gate. It's not like day one, you know, we respond in this way to the pokes, right it takes a while so um would you give us a little bit of history of how y'all first got together and um and kind of when things started to go sideways
1: uh sure so i met my husband when i was on a work trip at the time i was a single mom i wasn't looking for a relationship and mm-hmm. he just came on really fast and strong with what i now have learned as a classic love bomber um yep. i just never saw it coming we were married uh, almost a year to the day of meeting. And that was okay. really at his insistence. He pushed the relationship fast. And okay. I just felt it was all so romantic, so wonderful and mm-hmm. uh, uncomplicated. And and it wasn't until it was because right. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. after we got married, uh, my mom received a terminal diagnosis. I also found out I was pregnant with our son. And that was all in the same month. Wow. This was a planned, uh, a pregnancy that was not planned, but added Mm -hmm. a lot of stress to the relationship. And then the, the culmination of those two events is really when it all started to unravel and the gaslighting kicked into full effect. It was already happening, but I didn't notice it. And it, it wasn't to a point where it didn't make sense yet. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that at that point, the gaslighting just happened <laughs> on a daily basis. And, you know, it's yeah. uh, six months after that. So in the midst of the pregnancy and while my mom was deteriorating is when I had my first D-Day, Discovery Day, and mm-hmm. just found out about all my husband's betrayals, acting out. Um, he had been doing it since before I met him. He was never mm-hmm. actually single when I met him. I mm-hmm. uh, was in contact with that same uh, significant other till three months after we were married. So mm-hmm. um, just, you know, all the acting out ramped it, ramped up and continued through the D-Day. And then it continued yeah. after that because he pretended that mm-hmm. uh, recovery, he promised to get help and he would mm-hmm. just enough to check the box to say, Hey, look, I'm better. And never mm-hmm. true. The actions never match the words. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just, it kept escalating and escalating and then piled on top of the gaslighting. There was, um, physical abuse, uh, mm-hmm. abuse. Uh, he laid his hands on my children. Uh, mm-hmm. and then in, in the process of all this, my son was born and, uh, I lost my mom. Yeah.
0: That's so much Linda. Mm-hmm.
1: So much
0: all at one time. Wow! What I'm sure I know a lot of people. We get tired. I know there were times in my life where I got tired of hearing it, and then I liked hearing it again. (laughs) But you know, um, the resiliency um, that is clearly evident. You know, with the energy that you're bringing today, to have gone through that, it's kind of like you know. I, I remember coming across this meme one time when it was like you know, be mindful of the woman who has gone through hell because like she's gone through it and now she's come out the other side and that strength that she carries with her, um, you know, and, and I just, it's, it's really evident. And again, I'm so sorry that that's like any one of those things would be a lot to go through, right? Like D-Day in in and of itself is a lot to go through losing your mom. I mean, like, I don't even like to think about it (laughs) like for mine. Right. And I mean, in the new pregnancy, especially an unexpected one, right? But to have all three at one time, that's just a lot, right? Um, So... So you had this D day, he promised, you know, to to get help and, you know, did some kind of like breadcrumbing, what we call breadcrumbing, which is like just leaving a little just enough to keep you on the trail kind of thing, right? To to keep following him kind of a thing. And um, you know, things progressed to where you decided that you wanted to file for divorce. Um, you know, but before we get there, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, I was reading through your story, and when, when you were sharing some of the ways that it had impacted you, the gaslighting that, that he had done, you know, there's the gaslighting that people do around illicit affairs or around addictions and that kind of a thing. And then there's the gaslighting that people do um, that aren't directly related to covering up behaviors. It's more about undermining us or making us um, more controllable, right? That's the kind of the little more insidious type of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, the gaslighting that kind of breaks us down. And, and I know for me, this was my experience. There was a lot of gaslighting around some of the addict or deviant behaviors that my ex did. Um, but I'm wondering if you would agree with me that while that kind of gaslighting was exceedingly hurtful, the gaslighting that he did around your response to his betrayal, um, your anger, all that kind of stuff was actually more damaging to your sense of self.
1: Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, there was times where I reacted to his acting out. So I would get upset that he was doing something bad or, you know, Mm -hmm. and then he would give me back these just extremely cruel words that didn't necessarily cover up what he had done, but they had just Mm -hmm. dug the knife in. Like there's an example where, Um, you know, he had gifted somebody that he used to, um, frequent for sexual favors, (laughs) that's an appropriate (laughs) way to say it. Um, he gave this person a gift and I found out Mm -hmm. about it and he told me, you know, well, you know, maybe if you were nice to me, I would give you nice things too. And I, it it was just dumbfounding. I am his wife and you're comparing me. To somebody that you used to pay to sleep with you, I, I I couldn't right I couldn't even wrap my hands around like, how is this even a comparison? And, right um, and then also, anytime I mentioned you know if if you can't show me recovery, then I can't stay in this marriage. That was a very yeah. frequent refrain from me. He would always bring up the fact that I had already been divorced once. And Mm. and he would go on to say, what are you going to do? Leave me. Nobody's going to want a single mom that's been divorced twice. And now you're going to have, you know, a kid by kids by two different fathers. So, yeah, it just in my I think deep down, I know that's not true. But to hear those words Mm -hmm. from the person that you loved enough to marry, uh, right, I, I, I can't even grasp ever saying somebody that to somebody that I loved or didn't love. Like it
0: just, right. <laughs> it, it, yeah. right. right. It's exceedingly hurtful and honestly coercive. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important, you know, for people to understand people that have never experienced this, they, they don't understand it because they're like, you know, why would you believe somebody when they say something like that? Well, it's because when it's somebody you love or trust, mm-hmm. their words are, hold a different kind of weight, right? Than just some random stranger, some random stranger saying that still might hurt, but you'll be like, well, whatever you, you're not an important part of my life. But when somebody that we, we love and trust, um, and believe wants the best for us, right? Cause why else would you marry somebody if you didn't believe those things about them? Right? So it holds a different kind of weight, right? We can't just brush it off, especially initially, right? Gaslighting is something that happens over time, right? It doesn't happen the first time they say it. It's when it happens again and again, and they hit it in different ways, right? So those were some really powerful, and not in a good way, examples of the way that he kind of, I would say, break you down a little bit, um, cause confusion or, or that internal conflict that happens. I just did an episode recently um, about cognitive dissonance. It causes some cognitive dissonance for us, Um and then I know in your notes, you told me that kind of after D-Day, this is where the kind of the bo- poking the bear, even before you filed for divorce, started to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, where he started to use these things to kind of paint himself in the light of, a vic- of the victim, right? Um, and what were those typically about?
1: Um, he would just deflect blame any t- time I called mm-hmm. him out on acting out he would Mm -hmm. um, either come up with a rationale or justify or or turn it back to blame me. You know, I mean, and it got really ridiculous. Like looking back, it's almost comical how like crazy Mm -hmm. the justifications were, but he just Mm -hmm. found super creative ways to sneak around my boundaries and continue to act out. You know, Mm -hmm. he would, I mean, at one point he was like, well, that person lives in a different area code. I didn't know that they didn't count in the boundaries. (laughs) <laughs> which is ridiculous
0: right? it's so ridiculous and
1: then yeah. um or uh, there was an incident where he went out and like um tried to befriend uh this like highly inappropriate person and he said "Well, you okay. told me to go make new friends like, right well, it's, <laughs> it's, your, it's your fault I don't feel like that's what yeah. i meant and then um, no <laughs>
0: Right. And then There was a
1: boundary related to travel because a lot of his travel mm. happened, uh, acting out happened on his travel. And so he okay. would be like, well, I know I said I wouldn't go on any, you know, international trips, but I have to for this assignment, you know, and mm. there's no way around it when there clearly was. And it's yeah. just, you know, what do you want me to do? Lose my job? Was never, right.
0: There's that coercion which again, was never
1: a, a, a risk in that situation. Yeah. So it was just super creative ways of like dancing around band- boundaries that he'd agreed to that way he could keep mm-hmm. saying, I'm, I'm following your boundaries. I don't understand, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in therapy, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then, you know, when, when you're not, when you're not taking any of that seriously, then, You know, if you're in therapy for the wrong reasons, you know, um, it's become my opinion that it just weaponizes a person like that with new vocabulary to further attack their victim. (laughs) Absolutely. You know,
0: there's a difference between being in therapy and applying therapy. (laughs) You can go and you can sit on that couch or that chair or whatever, and you're simply checking a box. That's what I
1: call warming the couch. Yeah. Warming the couch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly. So
0: I know you know you're because of where you're at in your process, you have a little bit more clarity um than you did in the middle of when this was happening, but it really was pretty clear to me in the notes that you gave that there was a pretty distinct pattern right that that would happen in between, you know when you were trying to see if he was going to Ever take recovery seriously, and when you filed for divorce, mm-hmm. right, where you would come to him and you would, you know, ask him, you know, s- something about a, a boundary that was either not met or violated, right, and then he would become defensive, and then what? What? Would, what was the rest of the pattern?
1: Defensive, blame me, and then he would just kind of withdraw and. Uh, you okay. know, he would, I think, use that as further justification to keep the cycle going with the account. now. Mm-hmm. So um, he would actually, you know, he would label my response as yelling and screaming when it, it actually go. wasn't. Um, yep. And he would say that it was I was yelling at him every day. And what I recall those conversations being was me basically begging, pleading, crying. You know, Please yeah. don't continue to act out, you're destroying our yeah. family. And he just um, would cycle. And then that's when he that's kind of when the tables flipped where he went from being a little bit sorry to everything's my fault. And the way mm-hmm. I'm reacting is keeping him in this acting out loop. And uh, to be told I was screaming when I've never been a screamer or yeller in my life. is, Yeah. You know, I knew I was angry. So then I start yeah. doubting myself, like maybe I am. Exactly, um, but yeah, you know, I have my firm. I'm pissed voice. Don't get me wrong. You're uh, <laughs> right. Or, or you know, I'm mad at you uh-huh. voice, but it's not yelling mm-hmm. and it's not screaming.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, you named one of the impacts there that it, it kind of started to make you question yourself. What other impact can you see now that you're out of it a little bit that that dynamic and that pattern had had on you?
1: I think it kept me, so to speak, in the game for too long because I okay. kept circling back to, you know, we, we would have these conversations where yes, I'm upset, I'm crying, please don't do that. Are you gonna take this seriously? But then it just I kept thinking in my mind, if I just explain this the right way to him, if yeah. I yep. let if I can make him understand my thoughts and how this is affecting me and how this is affecting our mm-hmm. children. So when I look back over conversations we have, emails, text messages. It's me trying to get him to see things from my point of view. And I just kept yeah. doing it and kept going back yeah. for more because I'm like, I'm married to this man. He's the father of my yep. child. I just need to get him to yep. understand. And then he will be, Oh my God, what have I done? And then really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get help. And it just mm-hmm. kept me going back for more basically for way too long. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it really, um, I think one of the things, first of all, um, I, I, I don't know what the percentages are. I, I'm, I make up probably in the 90th, 90 some percentile of the clients that I work with and people that I talk to that say exactly what you just said. I mean, not maybe verbatim, but the same gist where it's like, I, I I kind of felt like if only I could say it this way or if only I could say it that way, then they would understand. And what we don't understand that we do when we do that is we take on the responsibility for the success of the relationship, right? When we do that, it's like, it's all on us, which is completely unfair and disempowering, right? Would you agree? Is that how it felt to you when you, kind of went back and looked at like, wow, like that was just such a disempowered place. To right. Be. I mean,
1: and I equate it to everything else I've done in life, in my career. It's like my level of effort has always translated to level of success. So yes. I felt like if I could just muscle through and put in enough effort here that I could fix mm-hmm. this, I could fix us, I could fix him. And, you know, yeah. even though I've read all this stuff and, you know, I, I immediately read all the right books and it says you can't, mm-hmm. but I'm like, no, I can I've been right. able to fix everything <laughs> right. in my life. I've been mm-hmm. able to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, put in the efforts. But you know, getting a yeah. PhD in addiction, you know, by reading books and right. all that, you know, right. watching um, all the shows, the podcasts, the books, the, you know, none of that yeah. is is the fix until that person wants to get help, which takes a yeah. long time to come to terms with.
0: Yeah, it does. Well, it's hard, right? Especially when you've had some measure of success in that before. Mm -hmm. So side note, I didn't put this into um, the deconstruction zone, because I didn't have that bit of information. But I kind of want to name it right now. That's actually one of the um, vulnerabilities that I teach people about um, to be aware of. And when I talk about vulnerabilities, it's kind of like our Achilles heel. I think I've talked about this before. It's not something that's wrong with us. It's understanding that different people have different vulnerabilities. So it's something to be like, okay, so I need to make sure when something isn't going right or something is going wrong in a relationship, that that's a risk that I have, right? Where I can step out of my power by trying to be the one to fix it be responsible for fixing it and instead we say okay so in order to um, protect that vulnerability if you will i'm going to require mutuality if there's something not well <laughs> or not going well in the relationship right? like all relationships have hard times and where there are times when you need work maybe even outside help all that kind of stuff but the other person should be putting in as much effort as us right so that's i just want to name that right there for you real quick um, let's get back to your story. Um, while divorce is never fun, right? Like even when it's the right thing to do, I know for me, 100%, I have zeroed out in my brain that it was the right thing to do for me. It's still not a fun process, right? Um, and at the same time, I know also for me, it can bring things out into the open for us right? Um, It can help us see things that maybe we didn't see before, not only because of distance, but because of reports that have to be shared and all the different things, right? And I know a lot of things have happened for you since that process began. And while not necessarily easy or enjoyable, I believe, you know, from the way that you shared about them, they have indeed been helpful for you to be able to begin to identify the gaslighting and begin to break free from the hold that those things had had on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, would you share that part of your
1: story with me and my listeners? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, as part of the divorce process, I'm I'm in the kind of middle of it. Um, I've had okay. several like a custody evaluation ordered by the court, as well as some psychological evaluations, and the process of going through those has been pretty eye opening. First of all, you know, a lot, you know, depending on who you get as your evaluator, they they take in all the evidence and then they enter do interviews and you know, little test psychological profile tests and things like that. But uh, for mm-hmm. me, uh, again, just based on how I run my career in life, type A, mm-hmm. Type, mm-hmm. I, after my d day, I had started documenting and documenting. So anytime something didn't feel right, I had, A screenshot. I had an email. I kept the text messages. I, I have. Mm -hmm. I had so much information that I'm that I. Looking back, it is, but it and it wasn't like Mm -hmm. a plan. I wasn't at that point. I wasn't D Day. I'm not planning to get divorced. I'm just like something's not right, and Mm -hmm. I knew my husband's tendency to uh, delete and pretend it never happened. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, I needed to keep these things to be like, no, this really happened. So I just kept everything (laughs) and it wasn't very organized. So when it came time to start turning over some of this evidence, I spent weeks, I mean, months organizing all of this, writing it into a cohesive timeline. And, you know, the timeline that I wrote is like 30 pages, single space typed. And then then in that timeline, I reference individual pieces of evidence. So then I have this separate folder where Mm -hmm. I've got you know text messages screenshots yeah. like all kinds of inappropriate purchases you know on mm-hmm. and on, and on. Uh, weird tests from doctors
2: <laughs> really mm-hmm. weird
1: stuff so i had you know hundreds of pieces of evidence referenced in this timeline and then when you hand this over um it, it it's freeing in a way you're like here you have my story and this is what i experienced but then when you have an evaluator dig into that um And and I know they're supposed to be neutral. So it felt like I was Mm
2: attacked. So they're like, well, Mm -hmm. how do you know?
1: Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, reference evidence number 135, page four. (laughs) Right. Right. And uh, what's finally come out of it is that, you know, she saw, it was a a female, she saw through all of the lies and documented Mm -hmm. now. And it's documented by somebody that was hired to be neutral. So it's not one of my friends, it's not a family member saying, oh, he's so crazy. Is, right. um, he lied, you know, <laughs> hundreds of times in the time they had this right. relationship and it's documented and it's just very validating. And, you know, there was mm-hmm. one particular thing that I just was really hung up on and it was a, a text, it was a, a, a text message basically, uh, or a, a online chat platform message between him and yeah. I. And what it was is I had said something that I stand by to this day. And it was essentially like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to help you. You're not the person I thought you were. I want a divorce. And mm-hmm. he had tacked on some words to that and, and he had basically mm-hmm. cut and pasted into like a word document I'm guessing and added okay. onto it and said, I'm going to take our our child and everything away from you. And I'm going to do this to make you pay. Yeah. And I know it's not like the worst thing in the world, even if I did say that, but I didn't. And I would never yeah. alter a document that I legally produced. So, yeah, but when you, he submits his version and then I said, no, 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 this is what I said. I have it. Um, it, that gets into digital. He said, she said, it,
2: right. need
1: what was the real version? So we ended up subpoenaing the, uh, <laughs> communication platform. We got the official nice. records and it was just nice. so freaking validating to open it up and go to my archive and be like, yep, those are my words. And then I scroll yep. down to his archive. Yep, those are my words and yep. it just like my heart's racing the whole time because there's still that 0.5% of me that's like, what if I was right. just so angry in the moment that I did modify those words? Even though, like, I know that's not me and I would never do that. And uh, so it's just like I finally was able to say, like, okay, this evaluator sees it. All the data is lining up with me. I don't alter things. I don't lie. You know, hallelujah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I it's it's funny because um I think people that fall into these kind of quote type A personalities, I feel like it's kind of the same thing as introverts. Like there are there are some of these like personalities or whatever that people kind of almost um it's not shame, but it's almost like, you know, I can't I kind of can't help myself because I'm I'm this or this, I'm that. But like what you did, I, I don't know if somebody told you to do that, but it was so like, it was so amazing. It was so good. And in fact, you know, sometimes I will coach people to do that very thing in a number of different situations, right? Like sometimes if people are struggling with imposter sy- in- syndrome, um, for example, I'll coach them, create an evidence list, write down every time you do something and there's a good result, right? And that will help you see like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not imposter. Like I am a badass at my job or whatever, right? Because everybody struggles with imposter syndrome. This is also something that a a lot of people find really helpful and not just in the divorce process, but when they're just trying to to like get themselves out of that gaslighting place, um, especially if there's any self-gaslighting happening, where it's creating a timeline and or an evidence list of all the things that have happened in the relationship. It can be really difficult. So side note, any of my listeners that are listening and want to do that, I highly encourage doing that with a coach or a therapist because it can be traumatic. Mm-hmm to go through and relive all of these things. And it can be something that grounds you, kind of like you said, in your knowing that I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. My memory is accurate, right? Because gaslighting affects our memory, right? It's hard. Like we 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 have a... Um, a difficult time often remembering, did, did I say that that way or, or right? That kind of whole questioning that you came up with. So it's a really great way to tether us to our reality. So, um, so did somebody tell you to do that or was that just your, your amazing engineer brain yeah. that was like, I'm going to do this. Well,
1: it goes back to my D-Day the night, the the day, the day of my D-Day, I found a lot of stuff on an electronic device. And before, I knew before I confronted my husband with it, that he was going to delete it and pretend it never happened. I don't know why or what Mm -hmm. was telling me that, but I'm like, this is going to be just too easy to delete. And then over time, be like, that never happened. So Mm -hmm. um, when I found it, um, that after the household had gone to sleep, I stayed up and I took screenshots of everything I found. Yeah, I made a copy and I kept it and then put it back. And then the conversation happened. And then sure enough, the whole thing got wiped.
0: So there was just
1: something about
0: your intuition. And then, and
1: even though I was keeping all that stuff, it wasn't, you know, organized. So then when it came time, it's exactly what you said. When Mm -hmm. it came time for me to actually write it in order and put it in a cohesive manner to hand it over to somebody, I ended up finding so much more. And it was advertising Mm -hmm. each time. I probably spent six months in active daily trauma, you know, through medical EOBs and, you know, things that I didn't even think to look for at the time and, and just to piece it all together into a cohesive story. So, and it's very traumatizing to uh, reliving that. But as soon as D-Day happened, I did get myself into therapy. So I, I have been working all of that along um, with a therapist.
0: Good. Good. So I think one thing that I want to say too, right here, um, to anybody who's listening right now, who is like thinking maybe that's something that they would consider doing. I just want to alert you to some of the self gaslighting that can pop up. Um, Because when we are in relationship with somebody that is doing this kind of behavior, we're not necessarily allowed to just be our free authentic selves, right? Like, like I, I make up, Linda that that's not something that you would typically do in a relationship right is screenshot everything and you know kind of compile this list right like i make up that's an abnormal behavior for you correct right,
1: I, I, right. right. on d day was the first time i had ever looked at one of his electronic devices yeah. it was just a yeah. building feeling something's wrong something's wrong i've got to do something yeah. and that's what i found
0: yeah so we we have to be mindful that it's going to it might feel weird which can to us translate as I'm doing something wrong, because this feels weird for me to be out of alignment with who I would be if I were free to be me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about doing this, just knowing those, just know those, those feelings that might come up, you're not doing something mean. You don't have to be keeping all of this stuff in order to be vindictive, right? Like, and that's might might be what somebody might say, like a partner would say, why are you keeping all this stuff? Why don't you trust me? Like, you're just going to use it to hurt me or, whatever. And you're like, no, actually, I'm just keeping this so that I know what my reality is. Right. So that can be the the very reason that you're using it. And it can be a very powerful tool for that. So um now that you have some distance, why do you think your soon to be ex was doing and saying these things? Um, especially attacking your character and exaggerating negatively the things that you
1: were doing. Um I, I think he was afraid I would leave. Um, he was trying to keep me in the relationship and keep this, you know, secret life going at the same time. Um, I, I still struggle with why get married if you wanted that whole Mm -hmm. secret life. So that's a whole nother probably episode, Mm -hmm. but once you've made that decision to marry me, um, you know, if you're not going to cut off that secret life, then he's got to like keep pedaling on the bicycle to keep both going. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, it was all about, um, keeping me in the relationship, but still doing his little side gig. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't understand that personality. Uh, I, whereas no. I just wouldn't have got married. Like if I want to go do all this, no, right. keep doing it.
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure. And then the, the things that he's kind of done maybe since divorce or the not divorce, finalized but the, the beginning of the divorce proceedings i know you you said to me that um you know you believed that he was painting a narrative of you mm-hmm. to be this raging out of control terrible parent yep
2: mm-hmm.
0: right um and i loved how you said it. it it shows to me like i didn't know that you did a bunch of reading and all that kind of stuff but it def- definitely makes sense now with some of the things that you said because uh, you know, want to say this for the listeners, it's important to understand that sometimes I, I don't know what his awareness level is. I can't speak to that, but sometimes people will do this somewhat intentionally, right? Because they're trying to flip the narrative, as you said in your notes, to become the victim and recruit his flying monkeys. <laughs> so if y'all don't know what flying monkeys are, look it up. It's a whole thing. Um, and it is crazy making right? When you have people that know you like your in-laws, right? Who are supporting the batshit crazy things that this person is saying. And you're like, how do you not know me after all of this time that this isn't me, right? It can be really super crazy making. So um, I wanted to point that out as well. Did you want to say anything about that before I move on to the next question? Yeah.
1: I mean, to me, it's just it's what you said. It is crazy making, but it's also so hurtful for these people that you welcome into your life when you get married. Um, cause I remember the things they said about me and the things that my husband said about me when we were first together. And when we were first married, they all thought I was an awesome mom and they couldn't believe, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things my daughters were doing at the time. And, um, and then to come back and read their words that have been written down as part of these evaluations that I'm a terrible mom. I never wanted my children. All I care about is my career, um, raging out, wow. wow. which <laughs> no, um, and just to hear all these lies, and, you know, it, it, it's hurtful to me because I don't think my family would go to that extreme for me. I mean, they might exaggerate a tiny bit, but mm-hmm. they are not going to outright lie for me and I wouldn't want them to. And it, and then if it was putting the safety of a child, you know, at risk, they're lying, you know, in some cases, if it's the, you know, the grandparents or the aunt and uncle or whatever, they're lying is putting a child at risk. So, what yeah. what do you hope to accomplish here? It's right,
0: crazy. it's right. It's like you know, <laughs> it's like you do, You just can't make sense of crazy. That's the saying that a lot of me and my mm-hmm. different groups have had. Is just you just you just can't. You can't make sense of crazy. It doesn't not compute to a brain that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> think that way. We can't make you can't make it make sense to ourselves. Um, so let's go ahead and bring this to the present. Um, where are you today, and how are you doing with it
1: all? Um I'm you know, since getting some of the initial feedback on some of these evaluations, uh, I feel so much lighter. I'm smiling mm. more. I finally feel, You know, I finally feel that like honesty is going to prevail. And I know that my divorce is not finalized yet, but I, I do spend a lot of time around other people in my situation and I've heard all the stories and how it can go wrong. But, um, you know, I was so worried that my husband would fool people and he would not end up being held accountable. And it was just really difficult to have faith in the beginning uh, of the process when his lies are just coming at you hundred miles an hour. And Number. and then even reading the, the lies his family wrote, you know, it it just, um, I have to, I've come to a place now where I'm like, what else would I expect from them? Those are the people, Exactly. those are the people that raised him and that were part of mm-hmm. his upbringing and they are part of why he is who he is. So what would I expect different? Yes, and once I accept exactly. that and it lets me let go of some of the hurt, but you know, I have a, yeah. Mediation is coming up around the corner, final trial if okay. that doesn't work towards the end of the year. Um, but, I, you know, it's right now it's kind of a waiting pattern, but I'm in a place where it's okay to wait, whereas before, pins and needles. And now I'm like, yeah, you know, the truth is coming out. It's going to be okay. And now I just have to wait mm-hmm. and let the process happen.
0: Yeah. I remember that season in my life, not necessarily around divorce, but I I called it um, learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable because being in those holding patterns can kind of be uncomfortable, but we can learn how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. It's, it's like this weird dynamic, but once we learn it, it's a really powerful thing to be able to sit in it and not, you know, get the wiggly jigglies, like I got to get out of here kind of a thing, right? Like um, I can, this is uncomfortable, but I trust the process you know, I can, I can do this kind of a thing. Um, So that's, that's great. Um, so you've learned, I know you shared with me in your notes, some amazing lessons. Um, We never wish this on anybody. And I don't really ascribe to the bullshit that is, Um, you know, aren't I glad that this happened because look what I learned from it. I just can't, that's masochistic to me. Um, However, I, I do believe that we can learn something from everything. Right, like I, I do believe that that is, um, again, not that we have to or we should have to, but we can. We have that opportunity, and I believe that you have learned some amazing lessons from this part of your journey. And um, I'm hoping you would share a few of those with my listeners' sake. I think they'll be really encouraged.
1: Yeah. So I think the you know biggest thing is I have stopped doubting my memories. And whenever I, whenever those little sinking feelings come back in, I've got my binders of evidence and I can go back
2: and be like, mm-hmm. no,
1: actually this is what happened. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's also helpful to have, have it written down and in, in tabbed order. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so not doubting my memories and, and then, yeah. you know, I, I got to a place where I was doubting everything and to be able to build back up from that. And, you know, for me, I think the the biggest lesson is that, you know, I am that same person that I met before I met my husband. And, mm. you know, he's the the anomaly in my life. And yes, I, I love and, that. And I'm finally feeling like I'm getting back to that person like the day before I met my husband. I wanna that's mm-hmm. who I am and that's who I wanna be. And it's slowly mm-hmm. coming back and it's seeping back in as the um shame and regret and all mm-hmm. of that kind of, uh, you know, waves off of me, it's coming back and I feel it. And that to me is, uh, yeah. that's the biggest thing is like, you, you can get yeah. back to where you want to be. Uh, it just, for me, it's been time.
0: Yeah. I love what you put in your notes. You said this six year period, since I met him will not define who I am going forward right i think that's so like i just got goosebumps like i think that's so important because sometimes it can be so overwhelming and so all encompassing going through something like this and realizing that we've lost bits of ourselves or whatever we can feel like we're kind of doomed to be broken kind of forever like damaged goods or you know i've i've seen memes before like you know think about all the the stuff that she gave to him and and he was such a great or he was such a horrible person. And now, you know, what is she going to be able to give to the next guy and or whatever? And and the answer was like nothing because now she's broken. I'm like, no, that's that's not that's not what it is. Like that, that doesn't have to be our story, right? Like we can heal, we can move forward, and we do not have to let the, you know, these experiences define who we are. They define maybe a chapter in our life, or for some of us, it might be longer, and it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it's like book two, (laughs) right? Like for some of us, it's whatever, right? But it's not the whole story, and I don't have to carry this forward with me as a defining thing of who I am. Does it impact us? Yes. Do we carry some things with us? Yes. Does it have to define us? No. I loved that so much. Mm -hmm. It was so powerful. So also when you were talking about um, one of the kind of really big lessons you learned that specifically had to do with the shame, and I know I felt this too, and I had to learn this too, for those of us that are in relationship with somebody who has an addiction, especially those who go into any sort of sexual addiction behaviors, there's like a, a shame, right? Because that's something that is a soul tie with your person. And so it has a different way of like, integrating and connecting with our own stuff. And so it can feel really shameful. Mm -hmm. But I know you shared a a really important big life lesson that you learned about that. Um and I'm wondering if you would share that so that my listeners can hear from you instead of from me what that lesson was. Yeah.
1: So the the lesson for me is I'm I'm over the shame that comes with his Mm -hmm. brand of addiction. I didn't cause it. Mm -hmm. And um he walked into my life already well down the path to that addiction. And Again luckily I have lots of documentation that shows that it was going on way before me and that validating yeah. too but um yeah. you know everything I've learned about um you know sexual addiction is you know it, it it's usually present well before the person gets yeah. you know my you get to my husband's age when I met him so the patterns yeah. were there the abuse was yeah. there in his childhood you know everything I have found out and learned just cements that this is not about me. It was never about me. Yeah. There was nothing I could yeah. have done differently to, yep. uh, make him stop without him go seeking out help on his own, which didn't.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I love what you just said there about there's nothing you could have done differently. I, I remember one of my, my group ladies many, many years ago, Um, who was coming to my my group? I'm a life coach, and then she was also had her therapist, and she shared this thing that happened in therapy. And she was talking about how her therapist kind of drew this picture of a couch, and drew like some stick figures, and there was a stick figure that represented her, and then there was a a stick figure that represented her her husband, her then husband, right? And she's like, "So, um, if I take you, the therapist was like, if I take you off of this couch, and I put somebody else there." right? Like basically, I'm trying to think of how she said it. Basically, it was like whoever he was going to marry was going to end up on that couch, right? Like it wasn't about her and how she specifically went through it. It was about the fact that he came into this with these issues and these problems. And no matter who he ended up with, it was going to end up here. Yeah. right. Which brings me to the three C's that a lot of people will talk about in this arena, um, which is I didn't cause it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. Right. So three C's. Yeah. So let's um let's take this into the deconstruction zone. So circling back around to the word of the day, exaggeration, I-, I believe we could clearly see how your soon-to-be ex used exaggeration to both exaggerate the impact on him and the intensity of your behaviors in order to change the narrative and paint himself as the victim, right? He used multiple techniques and tactics to do this. I'm going to name deception, aka lying, mind games, diversion, and brainwashing, as well as distorting the facts. So these are all some of the things that he did in order to accomplish this exaggeration, right, which was the main tactic that he used. Um, For me, I think it's important to point out, I did a little bit earlier, but I want to say it here again, that gaslighting um, when we boil it down to kind of its simplest, well, you're you're uh, an engineer and I have a math sciency brain, so I like to think of things as equations, kind of right. So for me, gaslighting is an exchange. It's kind of that, that one symbol, almost kind of like where it's an equal sign with a little squiggly on top of it. I forget what you call it, but um, so the exchange is often what I'm like trying to coach my clients to look for. What what of yours did you exchange? For something else, right? So in that exchange, we typically discard our reality, our knowing, our values, and we take on another person's reality as our own. We don't know that we do it. Of course, and they're like, oh, let me discard my reality and take on yours. That'll feel good. Like, we don't know that we're doing it, right? It's it's a covert experience. It's, it's secret. We don't know it's happening. And if we want to kind of protect ourselves moving forward so that we don't continue to make these exchanges. We need to see how and where it happened for us if we're going to avoid it in these other relationships, right? So for Mm. me, um, I believe that we can see this exchange happening in your story. You know, you were this kick-ass single mom getting shit done. And then you became, because of the gaslighting, someone who doubted themselves deeply. And this is a common result of chronic gaslighting. Right. And um, I think, again, earlier I named a, a main vulnerability, maybe your belief in your ability to be able to fix things. Right. So keeping an eye on that and requiring mutuality out of your per- people. So let's see how we can take this into setting our well, you know, before we do that, any thoughts about what I just said about the deconstruction
1: zone? Yeah. The the last thing you said about mutuality, um, I've actually, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the last month or so realized I, I was I, I was reading a book and it said, is therapy going to work for you and your, you know, addict partner? And, and mm-hmm. it, it basically said, here's five signs that it's not going to work. And number one was that me, the partner made the appointment. And then, so just all, but all five of them were check, 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 check. So I was yeah. from day one, the day putting in all the effort and trying yep. to show him what his recovery should look like and how he could, you know, show me. So the, the mutuality was never there, you know, which comes with actions not, you know, matching your words. 100%.
0: 100%. 100%. All right. Well, let's see how we can turn this into setting our alarms today. So, if you're connecting with this story and some of the experience that Linda had, um, especially around when it comes to exaggeration, here are some things that you can do. Um, so, I like to give my clients what I call the uncomfortable hurt harm scale. So, you just take a scale one to 10, put uncomfortable at one. Uh, hurt in the middle at five, and harm over at 10, right? So I use this a few different ways with my clients, but in this case, we use it as a sort of fact-checking, okay? Because when someone paints themselves as the victim, they use words kind of like you just said, but but different, as not as, what am I trying to say? <laughs> not when we're trying to match words with actions in a positive way, but when we're noticing someone's using words to say how much they hurt or whatever, but the evidence does not show that that's actually what they're feeling, right? So they use these really big dramatic words to try to convince you of how you're hurting them, but then the evidence doesn't support it. So ask yourself where on the uncomfortable hurt harm scale does what I'm doing fall, okay? So for example, A lot of addicts will fight back against the very valid boundary requests that their loved one gives them. They'll say they're being mean, right? Like you're being mean by telling me I can't do this or I can't do that. Like it hurts me or whatever it makes, right? When in reality to live with boundaries, well, first of all, is a healthy thing and Honestly, it's only causing them a minimal amount of discomfort because they don't want to do it, really. They don't want to put in the effort to maybe do something a little bit different. It's not hurting them or harming them, right? But their words make us sound as if we're doing something mean or controlling or any of these things. So take it to the scale. Am I actually doing something that in a vacuum would (laughs) cause hurt, right? So that's a a great way to do some kind of fact checking, checking when it comes to exaggeration. Number two, as in almost every case, what I'm gonna tell people is sink into your knowing. Okay, if your gaslighter is telling you that your anger is out of control, that you're yelling or screaming, you know, maybe not everybody is Linda and might not have an actual recording to to verify that she wasn't screaming, but you get clear on how you would define these things, right? Like, you know, you have your stern voice or your pissed off voice, like, like Linda said, yes, I have that too, right? Does that mean... You're yelling, right? And then you can go like, no, actually, to me, this is what yelling is. And until I reach that point, I'm not out of alignment with how I can respond in my anger and feel like it's still okay and a valid, healthy, normal human response, right? You get to define yourself, right? You get to define those things for you. Your gaslighter doesn't have to agree with you, but it changes the way we see ourselves, right? It's not about getting them to agree with you. It's about us making sure that we know how we see ourselves so that when they try to convince us that we're behaving inappropriately, we can be like, no nah, fam, I know that's not the I know that's not the story. I know that's not accurate. Right. So um they can continue to try to hold whatever description of you they want, but you know when you're stepping out of alignment with how you want to behave when you're angry, et cetera. Again, you define you. That's one of my life mantras as I define me. Nobody else gets to define me. Right. Okay, and then number three, if needed, check with other safe people to get feedback. Right now, I know it can be hard because friends and family can be tainted. Maybe go to a therapist. Right, maybe go to to other people. Um, you know, to me, safe people aren't yes people. They're people who be like, actually, Sarah, <laughs> you know, you you maybe could work on this a little bit. Like, I love it when my kids call me out on my driving because I can get a little road ragey, y'all. I'm not even gonna lie here in Austin, it can be bad. Like safe people actually will call you out, right? So I'm not talking about go to yes people. I'm talking about go to safe people who will help you be aware of any blind spots that you might have, right? And then trust them, right? They likely will say something like, that's ridiculous. You are not a rageaholic or, you know, they have all these problems, all right? So Linda, any thoughts or
1: responses to my alarms that I – gave today? Yeah. I, I think the, the finding the safe people really resonates with me because I think in the beginning I was a mix of, um, shame, hold it in, don't talk to anybody, yeah. but then mm-hmm. I kind of maybe overcompensated and there was like an incident with an Uber <laughs> driver <Uh-oh. laughs> Yeah, like uh-huh. and like let it all come uh-huh. out. But, um, you know, it, it did take a while to zero in or like, you know, there, there's only maybe like two people that get the the full throttle from me. And, you know, one yeah. of them is a friend I've had for over 20 years. And um she's not a yes person. She will say, like, mm. actually, I mean,
0: <laughs> uh-huh. those are great people yeah. to have. And if you don't have them, you know, that's a great place to do some group work. Mm-hmm. Right. Because because people want, in, in group settings that I've been a part of, um, both for myself and as the facilitator, like we want honesty, we want rigorous truth with each other, compassion and empathy, right. And also vigorous truth. Um, we want somebody to mirror back to us in a healthy way. Um, as I wrap up today, I wanted to remind you, my listener, that I'm going to have some exciting new ways to go through my signature program, and I'm getting closer to launching them every day. So I encourage you to follow me on your preferred social media platform. Again, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Sarah Morales Coaching, and I'm on TikTok as Sassy Sarah Deconstructs. And I will have the links in the show notes. Linda, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thanks for having me. This has been uh fun? I guess that's a word for it. Right, <laughs> <laughs> <Very Yeah>. fun. <laughs> no. we we'll it's, it's good to talk about it and and that's one of my things is like, you know, I'm done keeping his secrets and that's, you know, part yeah. of what, you know, makes me want to be here talking to you about this is uh yeah. you know, it helps you break away from that shame and Absolutely. Tell your story.
0: Yep. There's a cathartic aspect to it for sure. And so thank you for for trusting me and being willing to share your story to help a lot of other people. Um, And finally, thank you, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful and want to help me get it in the hands of more people who could benefit from it, please leave a review and subscribe. And additionally, if you can think of one person in specific who could benefit, please share it with them. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. Take it away, Wendy.
2: We got stars in the-